This is so small. Blow Zoom it up. Zoom in. I, I don't know how. It's on the internet. Pinch. Pinch, Pinch out. Pinch and zoom, yeah. D- does that work on a laptop? Yeah, on your trackpad, <laughs> pinch out. I got it. I would All like right. everyone to know that Brian is by several years the youngest one on this podcast, and we just had to teach him how to zoom in on a Mac. <laughs> how to zoom in on a computer. Come show Grandpa how the clicker works. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Fools rushing. It's the Limbaugh Podcast Show. Brian, Christine, Clay, you know, and guests who drop on by, oh, who they choose, the Freedom Medal for, a presidential Everyone, welcome back. Hi. Did you miss us? I missed us. Well, it's your fault. We'll get into that. Welcome <laughs> to the Limpa, a podcast about the Presidential Medal of Freedom, those who've received it, those who should receive it, and occasionally, sometimes it's about people who should not have received it. I am Brian Tuft. I'm Christine Sear. And I'm Clay Russell. This was a very dark week, <laughs> and... Ugh. Not for the reason you think, but in conjunction with it, which is... Those of us on the Limbaugh group chat had to face the reality that on Monday night, Clay was proven right. I didn't want to be. That the Supreme Court is just in a really bad era. They're like, their vibe is suffocatingly toxic. <laughs> and that we are just going to be hit with a barrage of horrible rulings, it seems, just as Clay has prophesied. They've, he's been talking about this for months. It has to be the darkest era of the Supreme Court since Plessy versus Ferguson when they passed the separate but equal law segregating whites from blacks. Like, it's it's that level that we're looking at here. As Nina Totenberg, the considered the top Supreme Court reporter, said that a bomb just dropped. Well, and you know, Susan Collins is in her frowning chamber, frowning as hard as she can. She's very concerned. The yeah. concern <laughs> is <laughs> off the charts. But in their testimony, they they said that they weren't going to overturn it. Why why would they do that? She's like the embodiment of the shocked Pikachu meme. <laughs> I never thought leopards would eat my face. <laughs> it's and again, we do have to say that this is not the actual opinion piece that we have here. Tis but a draft. But if it's even close to what this is, yeah. a lot of people have brought up the point that oftentimes Supreme Court opinion writings will lay the framework for future cases, and that Alito basically laid out the case that no constitutional law should be decided by the federal government. That's frightening. And it feels very Civil War-ish, doesn't it? Like, states' rights... <laughs> And it's like, hmm, 100%. when's the last time, well, not the last time, but one of the prominent times that the federal government was the bad guy because they weren't letting states do shitty things like they wanted to. I mean, if you're telling me that we're heading towards a civil war, let me know. Like, I need to go to Europe. As Stephen Colbert said that our lives are basically decided now by three dudes and a woman who thinks The Handmaid's Tale is a rom-com. <laughs> I mean, to be fair... 
Elizabeth Moss did have really good chemistry with that mechanic in the first season. So I, I, I see the, the groundwork there. There were some sparks. And the most tragic part of this, of all, of course, is that this news dropped during the Met Gala, which was already underwhelming. And the idea that it then had to compete with this is just... Blake Lively worked so hard. And And for what? Well, I was hoping the thing I would be most angry about was... Kim Kardashian looking terrible in Marilyn Monroe's dress, but instead this, and then Hillary showed up in an actually like gorgeous gown that had this embroidery in it. And like, as soon as she was done posing for pics, I'm sure she looked at her phone and was like, Oh God damn it. Holy shit. Yeah. Could you imagine being seated at Hillary Clinton's table while she's like drafting her response to this abortion news at the Met Gala? Huma was there, and they probably didn't let them sit together because I heard they don't let spouses share a table because they're... And and famously, Huma Abdeen and Hillary Clinton are married. They're work spouses. I'm sure they made an exception that night. Yeah, way to ruin, like, not only people's lives, but what's supposed to be a wonderful night for fashion. And I also want to say, if you were one of those people who was on the internet saying, I can't believe you're talking about what Kim Kardashian is wearing on a night like this, like, f*** you. We don't reschedule the Super Bowl because something bad happened. They were playing (laughs) sports in New York 10 days after 9-11, okay? People were getting mesothelioma below 14th Street, and we were playing ball. Like, no, okay? Man, did you see that catch that Jeter made? (coughs) (laughs) Unacceptable. Brian cannot let a 9-11 joke stay on the table. He's got he's to gotta take it. But to take it back to when the news broke, Brian was the one that broke the news to, to the me group. and Christine. Yeah. And I have been thinking a lot, and I'm going to bring it up in today's metal segment, about messaging. And the first thing that you think is, who leaked this? Right. And I do wonder if it was on the conservative wing. The reason why is because we're not talking about what this means for women's rights across the country. The initial reaction was, who leaked this? Mm -hmm. And it almost distracted from the massive and historic implications of what is coming down the pipeline here. And so... Almost when the actual announcement is made, which will clearly be that Roe versus Wade is overturned, Mm -hmm. uh, it will almost be an afterthought, which is super f***ed up. Well, and I always think that's like an annoying reaction, especially if what's been leaked. Like leaks in politics are part of the ecosystem. Like they're not a... like, it's a feature, not never, a bug. Never in the judicial system, though. Like, this is unprecedented, what we're looking at here. Well, and there's the two schools of thought, right? Or that it was someone in the liberal camp just trying to, like, light the fire and light the beacons and be like, guys, this is about to happen. Or it was a conservative who... I don't really know. Do you guys get, like, the full picture of what the a conservative would have to gain by leaking this? Yeah, I think it's Chief Justice uh, John Roberts, or whatever his name is, uh, leaking it so that he can try to push the conservatives more to a moderate stance, because I think that I see that part of it, and I also see the other side, that it was somebody in, like, Alito's camp, where it's like, okay, we've this is the opinion that we've taken. If anyone defers or, you know, kind of defects from this, they're weak, and we already have it on the record. So to me, there's, like, two ways that I see it. I actually think that it's... It wouldn't make sense for the three liberals to have leaked it. 
mm-hmm. if anything, like uh, people I know who had the official notorious shirt with Ruth Bader Ginsburg's face on it were like, F- Ruth Bader Ginsburg that night. Like, I mean, full throated on Twitter. If she had not died on in that chair when Trump was president, we would have gotten to replace it. And it's like stuff like that where I'm just like, this is people are so angry that I just I cannot imagine, you know, Sonia Sotomayor being like, let's <laughs> let's put this out. Yeah. Mm. I do think that your theory about Alito is conceivable. And this was if you actually read this thing, which one of my first reactions to Brian Christine was when I clicked on it was, holy shit, they have this entire document up. It's an extreme opinion. It's a very extremist opinion. Yeah. And uh, I do wonder, maybe uh, Alito is trying to kind of force the hands of the other conservative justices to say, well, sorry, it's already been published. We got to go with it. Bye. And it's it's strange, though, because I think that obviously those are lifetime positions. They're set. They'll, you know, write a memoir. They'll go on a speaking tour. They'll do tenure at Harvard. They're going to be fine. So they don't care. But I almost feel like the Republican Party must feel like the dog that caught the car. This is something that they've campaigned on. But like, it's in the same way that like, you know, Democrats campaign on, you know, social spending and like making your life better. Like it never really happens, but like they talk about it a lot. And I think that this was the Republican version of that. And I think the idea that it might happen is very interesting. And obviously there are so many other important parts to talk about before we get totally nihilist, but it's in a way I was comforted because Democrats don't seem interested in putting together a winning midterm strategy. And I feel like the Republicans put together a losing one. And I'm like, we can play with this. Like this is, this is good. So the scary thing, Brian is rather than comforting to me, it just makes me think like, what will they go after next? Having checked this box. That's the thing. Like looking at this from a strictly judicial standpoint, what they are essentially saying is that anything in the Constitution should be decided by the states. The judicial system is run on precedent, and if this ruling comes out the way that it is, oh boy. Yeah, well, well, that was to bring back our favorite frowning Senator Susan Collins. I remember the phrase settled law came up a lot during the um, various confirmation hearings. And so it's like, well, if it's not like it just destabilizes everything when it's like and I know that that's there's a precedent for that, too. Like things get reexamined and that's good. But it's also just like this feels like a fundamental right. And like the 70s weren't exactly like a liberal time in American culture. And the idea that like this was able to fly then and now 50 years later, we're like, "Mm, JK. I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that this is the first time in United States judicial history that a right has been taken away by the courts. Yeah, and I think it's not going to go over very well. No, because I think that I had this conversation yesterday at dinner because the best time to have a conversation about abortion is after three martinis. Yeah, like right um, before you black out. That, that's, that's in the Bible. Um, <laughs> Psalms. <laughs> I think when people think of, oh, I want to ban abortion, they're like thinking that like a stripper gets pregnant with, you know, cheating with your husband and then wants to abort your husband's baby. And it's like this seedy, like sex worker, shamey thing. And like, I'm not going to name names, but like several of my 
friends who are married and have children have had to have a, essentially an abortion because another pregnancy has had a, a complication. And yeah. like, mm-hmm. I think that those are the things that, you know, these people are not thinking like, it's like, Oh, it's called something else when we do it, you know, for a nice married lady who wanted the baby. Uh, but unfortunately it was an atopic pregnancy or something like you don't realize that that's part of family planning and abortion access is, and I mean, some of these uh, senators and some of these governors have come out and said, like, I'm sorry, the baby is worth more than the woman, and we just need to accept that. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's all fun and games when you think it's just like, okay, well, we're going to punish these people using abortion as birth control. But instead, you're actually, like, punishing, like, yourself and your neighbors and your family and people you or know and care about. Or if this would happen to your own daughter, right. Yeah. Well, and uh, again, I won't name names, but I know someone whose mom... Uh, gosh, I can't remember what it's called. Essentially, the fetus turned into a tumor inside of her. <laughs> but for something like that, um, and again, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's pretty rare. I think it's rare, more rare than an ectopic pregnancy. But it's like, at what point, according to the court, did that baby stop being a baby and start being a tumor? And therefore, it's okay a to health risk. remove from a woman's body. It's absolutely. I think that... To bring it back to the history of all of this and how people view abortion that are against abortion, if you go back to the start of the anti-abortion movement during the Reagan era, the other major quote-unquote character that they would repeatedly talk about is the welfare queen, where they imagine it's a poor minority woman who is, you know, just having abortions left and right. And that's their very simplified, naive, and false view of what abortion is. Right. Man, imagine being the queen of welfare. Right? Uh, I would rule my subjects with a stern but loving hand. Oh, it's called a molar pregnancy, M-O-L-A-R, when the baby turns into a tumor. Just so you can share that at parties, guys. You're welcome. (laughs) I can't wait, because I feel like we're going to be talking about abortion at a lot of parties. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, gosh, I wish we could end this segment on a high note, but um, we can't. (laughs) It does seal the deal now that Mitch McConnell is the most consequential politician in the United States since Lyndon Baines Johnson, without a doubt. Uh, Yeah. Because his stonewalling and his management of Congress pushed... It got the court to At where it is. At least two of the justices, he yeah. A, blocked Merrick Garland, and B, just steamrolled Rammed. through Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah. Well, the Met Gala sucked. Abortion is probably over. And I saw the new Marvel movie, guys, and it wasn't great. So, horrible oh, yeah. week. <laughs> horrible. Um, Clay has a profile. It's not about the president, even though I thought it was. Maybe that'll be better. I don't know. Stay tuned. I'm going to have to write a new theme song and a minor key for this segment. Oh, like the Team America when they do the sad version of America. Yes. Uh, I believe, Christine, you're referring to the Team America theme, parentheses, bummer version. We definitely need a bummer version of uh, whatever we're calling our theme song. Yeah. Right. When we come back, I profile lawyer John H. Adams.
So I've been thinking a lot lately about messaging and the behind the scenes moments that you need to have to start a movement or end a movement. There is a recent Frontline documentary out called The Power of Big Oil that discusses the history of Exxon and how they would essentially release propaganda when data started to come out that climate change was actually happening to really slow down any momentum of legislation that would take away from their business. These are gigantic companies that have the power and the expertise to be able to do this against largely at the time when the environmental movement started in the 1960s and 70s. It would be individual lawsuits that would come out by people singularly suing these companies that would have these massive corporate law teams that would be able to defeat anything that was there just by sheer power that they had. And in the 1970s, the National Resource Defense Council started, and it was by today's profile, John H. Adams. I uh, would like to summarize him by a quote that Rolling Stone magazine gave, which is, if the planet has a lawyer, it's John Adams. In my opinion, this is a guy who is more akin to John Wick for the environment in that I think that it's great that we can all wear flower power dresses and uh, talk about saving the whales. But essentially, you need somebody who's there who can fuck shit up. And John H. Adams. Is is he the guy hmm. you call when you want to kill the boogeyman? Yes, he's the guy that you want to have when you want to scare the shit out of Exxon and Shell and Texaco. Nice. Yes. And so you need that person. I think that that a lot of the reasons why the environmental movement has never really gone anywhere in terms of legislation is because you don't have enough John H. Adams who can really uh, he's not about giving fun speeches and all that he has enough well-known people who can do that he has a history with robert redford and leonardo dicaprio and julia louis dreyfus but he is someone who works in the background that is someone who's just essentially a cage fighter for environmental movements so yeah let's profile him he was born in new york city february 15th 1936 and actually grew up on a farm in upstate new york which was his first experience of really connecting with the environment and being interested in saving it he actually if you look at his history doesn't necessarily have the type of lengthy profiles that some of the other people that we have done stories on, but we know that he graduated with a degree in history from Michigan State in 1959 and then went on to get his law degree at Duke in 1962. And for the rest of the 1960s, he was an assistant U.S. attorney in for New York for organized crime and racketeering. To give you a little preview of the type of skills that he would need for what he would go on to do. And in 1970, he and a group of other lawyers got together and formed the National Resource Defense Council as the first law body to try to defend the environment. And I really want to spotlight what its mission statement is. And I think it's a mix of, again, very flowery language, but then at the very end saying, do not f*** with us. And the statement is, to safeguard the earth, 
its people, its plants and animals, and the natural systems of which all life depends, and to ensure the rights of all people to the air and the water and the wild. And then to end, and to prevent special interests from undermining public interests. I love that statement because it's almost a threat in a way. Yeah. I'm just like, we're here to kill you. He uh, was inspired to form the organization by looking at the work that the ACLU and the NAACP did to really uh, turn activism and give it a legal fist to be able to help with it. He was inspired by a, a previous metal profile recipient uh, that we that Christine profiled, Rachel Carson. And a little interesting, to actually get funding initially for the team, they actually approached, of all people, the Ford Foundation, a, essentially <laughs> an automobile organization, to start the, the group that they would have. And the Ford Foundation, to their credit, went along with it. I do wonder if they regret that decision now. But, yeah, they were able to start it. Uh, one of the initial members of the board of the NRDC was also previous metal profile, Lawrence Rockefeller. And wow. Yeah. Oh it's I all, love when they come back up. This is a crossover episode. Again, though, I did spend a solid 10 minutes on Google trying to find anything with Taylor Swift. And uh, <sighs> I'm sorry to report again that I did strike out. That's my multiverse of madness. Mm. <laughs> Some of the accomplishments that the NRDC had was they uh, aided in passing of the Clean Water Act, began to start the movement to phase out lead from gasoline. They were able to uh, officially ban asbestos from some of the building materials that they have. Bill banning the Arctic uh, or oil drilling from the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, uh, lead poisoning laws, obviously sued the oil companies a whole bunch of times. And more importantly, recently, just because we obviously know that the world is not just the United States alone, despite the masterpiece that is Team America, they've been doing a lot of advisement to the government of China to be able to help them because they're starting to have more and more power needs through oil. And so they have been working with them to try to reduce that. So just absolutely someone who does not go for the spotlight but someone who is, was absolutely a warrior for the environment, for uh, the United States in terms of environmental groups, and absolutely someone that we needed because if not, uh, just being able to rely on uh, flowery speeches and Leonardo DiCaprio showing up to a benefit would not be enough. You need someone, once again, who's there to fuck things up, and John H. Adams was absolutely that person. Wow. So what he lacked in a creative name, he made up for in being a badass environmental lawyer. Exactly, yeah. So 2010, President Obama awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his achievements. And in his speech, he said, quote, this is our country, it's ours to cherish, and it's ours to protect. That is how we keep faith with future generations, which I thought was a really beautiful statement that he made. Wait, was he... But how did he not get the award during the Clinton-Gore era? I feel Good like that question. would have been right up his alley. He did. He retired from the NRDC. He's still alive uh, and retired in 1998. He was the, the oh. president of the NRDC from 1970 to 1998. And yeah, he's still its chairman. He's still out there. I uh, just listened to an interview that he gave on WNYC a couple of years ago. So 
he's still still making moves, still out there trying to protect the environment and trying to uh, essentially fight people that want to harm the environment. But why hasn't he saved the environment yet? <laughs> <laughs> if he's so great, why are we still... <laughs> you know, Brian, I think that, that Exxon and Texaco probably can afford more lawyers than the common populace can. Mm. Mm. Yeah, probably true. I would like to segue to our supplemental showdown, though, about some of the propaganda that was out there initially that really was trying to distract from uh, this massive amount of data showing that that we were in big trouble. So I pulled two ads that ran in the New York Times in the 1980s, and uh, I'd like Brian to read one and Christine to read the other. Really, I'm wanting you guys to audition as a voiceover artist. Just okay. really convince me about the messaging on this. Let's go with Brian first. Okay. <clears throat> Let me prepare my instrument. Doomsday is canceled. Again. The 20th century has seen many predictions of global destruction. In the 1930s, some scientists claimed we were in the middle of a disastrous warming trend. In the mid-1970s, others were sure we were entering a new ice age. And so on. It's the same with global warming. There's no hard evidence it is occurring. In fact, evidence the Earth is warming is weak. Proof that carbon dioxide is the primary cause is non-existent. Climate models cannot accurately predict far future global change, and the underlying physics of the climate change are still wide open to debate. If you care about the environment but don't care to be pressured into spending money on problems that don't exist, make sure you get the facts. Christine, it's yours to steal. Chicken Little's hysteria about the sky falling was based on a fact that got blown out of proportion. It's the same thing with global warming. There's no hard evidence that it is occurring. In fact, evidence the Earth is warming is weak. Proof that carbon dioxide has been the primary cause is non-existent. Climate models cannot accurately predict far future global change. And the underlying physics of climactic change are still wide open to debate. If you care about the Earth, but don't want your imagination to run away with you, make sure you get the facts. Christine, yours was good, but we got somebody who's worked years in customer service <laughs> and knows how to bullshit a statement. This Supplemental Showdown Award goes to Brian Tuft. Oh. Oh, thank you so much. I can't wait to hear that back. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to be cutting half this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, I will be gracious in defeat. Congratulations, Brian. Thank you so much. Well done, Brian. It was so fun beating you. <laughs> Again. <laughs> so, yeah, I I think that it's always fun to profile someone who doesn't have the, the lengthy bio, but John yeah. H. Adams absolutely deserves the award. Who do we think that this person would be today? I'll go ahead and start uh, as someone who is that boogeyman to scare the shit out of other interests. And uh, they are representing something that may not necessarily have a lot of power in the legal sense. I think that that person today is Rahm Emanuel. Interesting. I am terrified of him. Just someone who uh, stands for the right things. But if you need someone to get their head blown off he would have no qualms of pulling the trigger. 
I'm going to go with Greta Thunberg because she loves the environment and she too is famously a member of the Pussy Posse. <laughs> Very close with Leo. Very close. Brian, she's underage. Come on. <laughs> But she is someone who can be very blunt. I think that's a good choice, despite her exploits at the Viper Lounge in the 90s. How dare yeah. you? How dare you? I mean, I guess I'll say I already talked to him, but Al Gore? Does yeah. he have a law degree? I feel like he's a little too nice, though. But I get what you're saying, though. You know who's not? Tipper. If mm. Tipper cared about the environment, oh, it would be as a handled. team. Yeah, yeah, like he'll file the paperwork correctly, you know, the motions and the and all that stuff, and she'll crack some skulls. She tried to yeah. ban bad words from music in the 80s. Like, she doesn't right. give a fuck. She did a great job. She's the reason we have parental advisory stickers on, or had them on CDs. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, hats off to you, John H. Adams, not to be confused with John... The OG John Adams, what was his middle name? Because then there was John Quincy Adams. Uh, John H. Adams, by the way, Christine, uh, Mm. stands for John Hamilton Adams. This is a crossover episode. Oh, my God. He doesn't Mm. have a middle name. How retro. He was just John Adams. I mean, he was the first John Adams, so they didn't need to, like, embellish it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. You're done. Um, (laughs) And I forget the relationship, John Quincy Adams. They're like, I think they're more closely related than the two Roosevelt presidents are. Mm. Do you know what I learned from a book about the Gilded Age that I just got for my birthday? That Carrie Coon should be in everything? (laughs) Even that new Ghostbusters, (laughs) Brian. Oh, uh, not that. Not the Gilded Age, the show, the Gilded Age, the age. A young Teddy Roosevelt watched uh, President Lincoln's funeral procession go through New York from his grandfather's mansion in Manhattan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, anyway, I guess that we, you can cut that, too, if you want. <laughs> One day, he would grow up, and he would be president, and he, too, would have a funeral. Yes. And who was there? <laughs> the uh, Native American <laughs> whose statue they had to remove because it was so racist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And do you know who removed that statue? Taylor Swift. <laughs> what? There's literally nothing she can't do. She and Zendaya... All right, we've gone way off the rails. We should probably wrap it up. And that's why Tony Collette won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, our medals (laughs) of the week. All right, so we're going to end on a light note finally, I guess. Um, after the downer of an opening. So thank you to all four of you who are still listening. My medal of the week goes to a woman named Laura Young of Austin, Texas, who was browsing through a Goodwill store, saw this bust, like a sort of white marble bust with a little yellow sticker, price tag of $34.99. And she was like, you know, this looks kind of legit. It's worth mentioning she's also... She knows a bit about antiques, so she wasn't just, like, some rando with a hunch, but she was like, I'm bringing this home. She literally has a picture of it, like, buckled in (laughs) on a seatbelt in her car with the price tag still on it, and it turns out it was, like, 
like a war crime had been committed. At some point, it had been stolen from the German state of Bavaria before World War II. And so she consulted with a lawyer and I assume maybe the Bavarian government. And she's doing the right thing. So what she's going to do is it's being displayed in a museum in Texas for a year, at which point it will be returned to Germany because, like, basically she doesn't legally own it, even though she bought it because it was taken under, not false pretenses, but, like, it was stolen. Like, a war crime was committed. They assume, they don't, they can't, um, at this point, trace, like, the whole ownership of it because it was clearly just, like, either stolen or traded in, like, the chaotic time period for Germany between the two world wars. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so I think, you know, and she's sort of, like, not only do I not get to sell it, I don't get to keep it, but she's doing the right thing. And I also just think it's very silly that it was being sold for $35. And she was like, I actually think this is a, this seems kind of legit. And it's like, yeah, it's from ancient Rome. And it's been, yeah, it's been missing for 80 something years. So yeah, good for her. I see it's uh, going to be showing at the San Antonio Museum of Art until there it goes you go. back, so to, uh, back to its you- rightful owners. I'll never get tired of a unjustly misplaced artifact story. I know. They're always good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's mine. Thank you, Laura Young, for not only making that discovery, but but doing the right thing. Cool. My medal of the week, sometimes you just want to go to your, your base facts about what truly brings you joy. And what makes you happy. And uh, there's one thing that I've been just looking at over and over again for the last two weeks. My uh, medal of the week goes to uh, podcast host and professional shit talker, Brian Tuft. That's right, folks. For the first time ever, (laughs) I am spotlighting someone on the show. There is no video that I've watched more and more than Brian Tuft at the Olivia Rodrigo concert Singing, I've studied this like the Zapruder film. I love that we're going to post it on the show notes. I love that he's singing along. He's into the vibe. He sees the camera. Instead of being embarrassed, he leans in, guys. Yeah, he sings even harder. If there's anything that makes me just like, if I need to pick me up, I can watch this over and over and over again. So... For the first time ever, we have a medal recipient on the show. Congratulations to Brian Tuft. This is such a big day for me. I <laughs> I don't even know what, how to proceed. So many people to thank. Mm-hmm. Um, I won the supplemental showdown, and I was awarded a medal. Yeah, I mean, well, and I have to say, so in that video, Brian's wearing like a red sort of athletic looking jacket. <laughs> that is actually, he bought that at a yard sale in my neighborhood, <laughs> and the embroidery on the front says Monsignor. <laughs> That it L- is me sixth row at the Olivia Rodrigo concert, surrounded by teenage by children, actual children, <laughs> vibing harder than anyone. Like it's so easy yep. to see me and Olivia Rodrigo because we're the only people who are above three feet. This is the visual element of joy here that that you can see. <laughs> if if anyone is having a rough day and needs to pick me up, just watch this over and over again. Brian is noticeably a foot, if not more, <laughs> taller than everyone around him. <laughs> Because he's the only man, and he's the only person in his 30s. I was Correct. definitely the only man in that section that did not have a child with them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. I can't tell you how many times I spoke to an adult, and they were like, how old are your kids? And I was like, what kids? 
You're like, well, Tybalt <laughs> is 11 and yeah. Finnegan is almost two. I mean, you're probably very flustered now, Brian. <coughs> oh, God. Sorry. I, I cough when I'm excited. <laughs> like a puppy. <laughs> who's, your, who's your pick? You know what? I'm going to lean into the theme and I'm going to give my medal of the week to Olivia Rodrigo. Hey, um, there we for, go. As Clay said, and the human embodiment of joy in that video, because the concert was really, really great. Uh, she also had a great Met Gala look. Yes. And the thing that impressed me the most about seeing her in concert, because she has an album that I believe is 34 minute running time with 11 songs on it. Uh, she did a couple of covers. And I have to say the... One thing that I find very impressive is that I feel like there's an, everyone wants to bring back the 90s and the early 2000s, but no one is doing it as successfully as Olivia Rodrigo. Her um, Met Gala look had butterfly clips. She covers Avril Lavigne, <gasps> Veruca Salt, and no doubt when they were still really cool. She does Just a Girl. And wow. the other night in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., for those of you who don't know, she... Stop the concert to talk about how important it is to act now about fortifying abortion rights. And I feel like at 19 years old or however old she is, just making her money with a Disney Channel show, it would have been very easy for her to just be quiet and say nothing. And the idea that she had a captive young audience who's obviously, you know, very powerful, very online in some cases, some of them may even be eligible to vote in our midterms. And she took that opportunity to speak about something that is concerning not just her, but millions of Americans I found to be very admirable. So I am going to give my medal of the week to one Miss Olivia Rodrigo. Three great picks this week. I have to say, again, I won't name names, but I've been told that her team, so I think both like her family and then the literal people who manage her are like very cautious about not overloading her. Like even this tour... Like, she could have sold out probably Madison Square Garden, and instead she was at Radio City. Like, they're trying not to overwhelm her at this stage in her career because she's young and because this stuff is all new to her. So I feel like between knowing she has, like, good adults... She might, again, legally be an adult at this point, but she has, like, good adults and professionals around her. I feel like if you're an artist, you don't actually start having your shit together until you're about 30, to be honest. (laughs) So the idea that, like, she's being guided in a positive direction but then she's also taking a stand and i remember she went to i can't remember what the reason was maybe it was just to get out she went to the biden white house for like oh yeah to get young people to get vaccinated vaccinations Mm -hmm. yeah and so she's using that like brian said like this platform and this captive audience of like young either new voters or like soon to be voters and, and using that platform for good, I think is awesome. And we can talk about Taylor Swift because as much as we all love her, she very famously spent like a solid decade of her superstardom refusing to engage about politics or any kind of social causes at all. So Mm -hmm. it took Taylor a long time to get that level of like bravery and Olivia is already doing it at this early in the game. So Yeah. I think I think the the kids are all right. Three great picks. Yeah. Christine, if you were to rank the picks, um, the woman who retrieved an antique, Olivia Rodrigo or Brian Tuft, how would you how would you rank them? Oh my god, Brian's number one. Olivia Rodrigo has to be number two because she's the one who brought Brian <laughs> that level of transcendental joy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I still think Laura Young is doing the right thing, but you know, 
it's all in, it's all in perspective, and I think she'll she'll be a solid third, but she'll be third. Okay. Well, we did it. We did another Saturday recording sesh. Admittedly, a weird show. It was a little uh, sloppy, but you know, a little sloppy, a little bit of a downer. That's one of the the advantages of of friends talking and and discussing issues is that we probably will have some some dark times to come but it's good to talk through it and figure out uh how we can make it better and don't wait call your congress people now tell them that kim kardashian has to leave marilyn monroe alone (laughs) (laughs) has the anna de armas marilyn monroe movie come out yet no apparently netflix is having a hard time with it because it has like an nc-17 rating oh hot (laughs) I'm a day armis. I mean, yeah. no one's that straight. Yeah. I would. My knives are out for Anna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Brian's like, no one's that gay. <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll just, we'll try to do it on a Friday that next week can be a little more business-like, but we'll see. I don't know yeah. who knows. Yeah. Hey, this, this episode needed to happen. We had stuff to talk about. So. We sure did. Everyone, thank you for listening to us. As always, you can follow us at Limbaugh Podcast on Twitter. Thank you. I'll see you next time. See you next time. Presidential man.